0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 84. We'll begin with a brief summation of chapters 8 through 11 in the second book of Kings and follow with a consideration of... Like a mouse. Chapter 8 begins with a callback to the previous episode to Elisha's miracle, where he resurrects the child of the Shunammite woman. It seems he also told her to leave Israel, as there would be a devastating famine. Fast forward seven years, and the woman and her son return to Israel, but in the meantime, her land was taken from her. So she goes to the king to petition for her land back, and wouldn't you know it, as she walks in, the king is sitting with, you guessed it, Gehazi, who's telling the king all about Elisha's miracle, where he resurrects the son of the Shunammite woman. James, buy me a coat. Oh, snap, man, we're still saying the same thing. This is amazing. Carrots, nickels, glow sticks, twins. So the king restores everything to the Shunammite woman. Happy ending. <laughs> meanwhile, or not meanwhile, it's not really clear. Elisha is in Damascus. And Ben-Hadad, the Aramean king, who's on his deathbed, sends an aide, Hazael, to Elisha to see if he'll recover. Elisha tells Hazael that no, he won't recover, and then bursts into tears because he realizes that Hazael will become the new king and Hazael will do terrible things to Israel. Hazael goes back to the palace, tells the king everything's going to be fine, and then murders him the next day. <laughs> the rest of the chapter deals with some intrigue with the king of judah jehoram marrying ahav's daughter which can only mean one thing idolatry but since god loves judah because of david yeah still that the wars and uprisings and such are bad but not fatal Judah will survive. And as chapter 8 concludes, we finally get the war we were promised, when Hazael attacks Israel and does terrible, terrible things. And in the midst of all this chaos, Elisha acts. He instructs a minion to go find Yehu, son of Yehoshaphat, and anoint him king while Yehoram is still sitting on the throne. Oh, and he also encourages Yehu to assassinate the sitting monarch and the rest of the king's family, including Izebel, Ahab's wife, as revenge for killing God's prophets. Yeah, that. Well, you can imagine how this goes over with the boys. Yehu at first shrugs off the words of the minion as just lunacy. It says he's a mischievous guy. He's a madman. But when he tells his officers what the minion said, his officers take off their cloaks, spread them on the ground, and blow a trumpet, declaring Yehu king. And what Yehu does next is... so Yehoram is recovering from the wounds he received in battle against Hazael, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, has come for a sick visit. And Yehu and his men are riding hard to Israel to basically murder Yehoram. And so when the watch and Yisrael see a throng of men coming, Yehoram sends a messenger out to meet them. When the first messenger doesn't return, or the second, suspicions are raised, but the watchman says, ah, yes, but I recognize the guy in the lead. Quote, The driving is like Yehu, son of Nimshi's driving, for he drives madly. Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. And since Yehu is a friendly, Yehoram decides to go out and meet him. Ahaziah comes too. They each go out in their own chariot, and where do they meet? In the field of Navot the Israelite. Remember him? It was his vineyard that Ahav wanted, and Izebel plotted to steal, and then they murdered Navot, and Eliyahu came, and man, that was some great stuff. So Yehoram says, do you come in peace, Yehu? And Yehu replies, quote, what did the whoring of Izevel, your mother, and her abundant witchcraft have to do with peace? Damn, Daniel. Yehoram whips his chariot around and tries to escape and yells to Ahazia. It's a truck! But he's too late. And like Rickon Stark, Yehoram gets an arrow through his back and out the front, piercing his heart. Oh, I, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> And for good measure, Yehu kills Ahaziah too. And when he and his men arrive at Yisrael, Izevel is waiting. She knows Yehu is here to kill her. She calls out to him, full of defiance and spite as he enters the gate, Quote, "'Is all well, you Zimri, killer of his master?' Zimri, if you recall, assassinated Basha and murdered all of his descendants, but he too was assassinated seven days later, so that's like a hint there too. Yehu ignores Izevel, calling out instead to Yehoram's men, quote, who is with me, who? And when two men poked their heads out of the window to look down below, Yehu orders them to grab Izevel and defenestrate her, quote, and they pushed her out and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses and they trampled her. Damn, Daniel. After Yehu sits down to eat, he tells his men to go out and bury Izebel. After all, she is the daughter of a king, but by the time the men act, dogs have come and eaten her body, leaving only the skull, legs, and palms of her hands, just like Eliyahu foretold. Chapter 10 is blood-soaked as Yehu dispatches his men to carry out God's orders. All of Ahav's family are murdered, including their associates, leaders, and priests, as well as 42 of Ahaziah's relatives that his men encounter on the way to Samaria. But Yehu is nowhere near done. He announces a grand festival in the house of Baal, invites Baal's believers, and once he makes sure that there are no worshippers of God who came to party uninvited, orders his men to massacre all the people in attendance, smash Baal's sacred pillar, and convert the temple into one giant latrine. For this, God rewards Yehu with a dynasty of four generations, but Yehu's faithfulness does not last. He still maintains Jeroboam's temples in Bethel and Dan, but this does not diminish him from the successful blow against Baal, and he continues to rule for 28 years. Meanwhile, back in Judah, Ahaziah's mother, Atalia, realizes that this is her moment. Ahaziah is dead, and now she arranges for everyone else in the family to be dead too. And her henchmen get everyone except for one, Yoash, who is secreted away from the palace and lives in hiding for six years. When he turns seven, Jehoiada, the priest, his uncle, brings the boy into the temple and crowns the true heir of Ahaziah king. The soldiers who have been assigned to protect him begin to cheer and clap, and the people in attendance join in and shout, Long live the king! Atalia hears the hubbub and arrives at the temple just in time to discover that the jig is up. She's dragged away and murdered. Other soldiers head off to the temple of Baal in the city and destroy it. Yoash is formerly installed as king and, quote, all the people of the land rejoiced while the town was quiet. Thus, endeth the summation and beginneth the consideration. This is not the last time we'll be talking about Elisha. But I have to say of all the leaders, of all the judges, all the prophets we have discussed so far in the 80 plus episodes of Tanakhcast, he is by far like a boss, which is a strange locution because he's not like a boss. He is a boss anyway. And the thing is he starts off in such an unassuming manner. He learns the feet of Eliyahu, then he assumes his master's mantle in a little bit of a cheeky fashion. And then he just knocks it out of the park. Miracles here and there, big ones, small ones, you know, handling, you know, surly teenagers, feeding minions, resurrecting the dead, you know, levitating axe heads, curing lepers, ending sieges. What can't he do? In this episode, Alicia's second to last, there's a weird sense of disjointedness as if events are out of sequence. And not in a Pulp Fiction fun kind of way. There's, there are moments in this week's portion where Elisha is dead, or it seems to be dead, or at least talked about as if he was dead, and then he's back alive, and then he's kind of dead again later. But regardless of his actual life status, he's making stuff happen and looking out for his peeps. Like a mouse! And at the beginning of chapter eight, who's singing his praises, but his disgraced protege, Gehazi. If you recall in the previous episode, Gehazi doubled back to extract a payment from Naaman, the Aramean general, after Elisha cured his leprosy and refused payment. For this, Elisha cursed Gehazi with a case of leprosy that made Naamans look like a rug burn. And then Elisha tells Gehazi to, Get the fuck out of here, fuck off. Two words, fuck. Pretty easy to understand oh really easy to understand but somehow gehazi's back and he's leprosy free and he's recounting the fabulous tales of his wonderful master elisha the guy who gave him leprosy and fired him from his job and the mere telling of the story of the shunammite woman and her dead now alive son is enough to move the king to restore the woman's property after it's taken from her after a long famine yay but the next story that one really shows Elisha for what he really is. I mean, he, he can get it done and still be in touch with his feelings. Like a mouse. So Elisha is visiting Damascus, and even in the Aramean capital, he has a huge following. And, and with the king Ben-Hadad sick, an emissary, Hazael is dispatched to the man of God to see if the king will get better. Well, Elisha tells the emissary something very interesting. He says, quote, and I'll give you the quote in Hebrew, Lech emor lo Adoni yamut, which can be read and translated in two different ways. The first with the word lo spelled with an aleph, which means Elisha says, quote, go and say he will surely not survive, but the Lord has shown me that he is doomed to die. But if you read the lo with a vav, then the verse reads, go say to him, you will surely survive, but the Lord has shown me that he is doomed to die. Now, I like the second reading, and so does Robert Alter and lots of other people, because it teases what comes next. And it does it in a clever way, because Elisha is quietly and subtly conspiring with Hazael against ben Haddad. Listen, tell your king this, but you know differently. You know that ben Haddad is a dead man, which leaves Hazael stunned and speechless for a moment. But then his mind begins to race and he starts to calculate the odds and work the angles. And Elisha senses this because he bursts into tears. Knowing what Hazael will do when he becomes king of Aram. And it is not good. But then what comes next is the bossiest part so far. Hazael returns to the palace, tells Ben Hadad the good news. Then the following day, quote, He took a cloth and soaked it in water and spread it over his face and he died. And Hazael became king in his stead. In a sense, one could say that Elisha's sole purpose for going to Damascus was to put this idea in Hazael's head to spur the assassin to strike, like the witches did for Macbeth, so that God could use Hazael to wreak havoc on Israel and punish them for their sins. But their sins really aren't enumerated. Hmm. The next section of our story is also pretty bossy. The uprising of Yehu, which Elisha masterminds like a mouse Gosh, there are just so many amazing moments in this story that just leap off the page. And it begins with Elisha dispatching a secret emissary to Yehu, the commander of the watch, to anoint him king and send him on a murder spree that will end with the death of not one, but two kings at Yehu's own hand, as well as the rest of the house of Ahav and dozens of members of Ahaziah's court, Yehu just cleans house. But the part that's truly... Like a mouse! ...is Yehu's driving. But even that, which is pretty awesome, pales to what happens next... When he reaches Israel and gets two guys to throw Izevel out of a high window. Dan, Daniel. And even with the crazy purge that follows, the murder plots and counterplots, nothing even comes close to what my man Alicia has pulled off and will pull off for his victory lap in the next episode. I don't want to spoil it, but it will involve arrows and his own rotting corpse. Like a mouse! Oh, Alicia, you'll be sorely missed. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast, send a friend an email to say, hey, we should check out TanakhCast, or like TanakhCast at the show pages on Facebook or Google Plus, or write a brief review at the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people find TanakhCast. I thank you in advance for that. And encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 85 when we continue the second book of kings with chapters 12 through 15.